Well, tonight we are going to be in the book of Judges, chapter 12. The book of Judges, chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. That will be the whole chapter. And you can find our passage on page 212. And we'll be uh, reading from the English Standard Version. I'll bring the text up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. The men of Ephraim were called to arms, and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We'll burn your house over you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites, and when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said, are you an Ephraimite? When they said no, uh, they said to him, uh, then say Shibboleth. And he said Sibboleth, uh, for he could not pronounce it right. And they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He gave in marriage outside his clan, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried in Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel 10 years. Then Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried at, uh, at Ijalon in the land of Zebulun. After him, Abdon, son of Hillel, the, the Pirathonite, the uh, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirathonite, was, uh, died and was buried in Pirathon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So in my 20s, uh, I got into a minor car accident that was uh, definitely my fault. Check out my radio. And I, uh, and now I only had liability insurance on my car, uh, and so the other car was covered. He was fine, and you know he got his car fixed up, uh, but I was going to have to foot the bill for my own car. And so what that meant was I was driving around in a Volkswagen Jetta that had the front left uh, headlight area was pretty smashed up. And, uh, and I was going to have to foot the bill for that, and I don't have a lot of money. And, and so what did I do? Well, I just, uh, I just removed the headlight assembly out of the, the wreckage there of that front corner of the car and bought a new headlight assembly and just shoved it in there and didn't fix anything else around it. As my wife was recalling, I was telling her I was going to share this story tonight, and she was like, and she was like, I remember the duct tape. She was like, I remember the duct tape. She said, she, she said I almost didn't marry you because the duct tape on, your head, on the headlight in the car. But, uh, uh, and, so, uh, and so there's, 
Uh, and so I just, you know, just jammed that sucker in there and, you know, plugged, it worked, right? Uh, and, until I sold the car to a guy. Uh, um, uh, but it, until then, it was, it was an eyesore. It was not a beautiful car anymore. Uh, and, and, and I share that because just because something works in the moment doesn't mean that it's the right thing, the ideal thing, or that we're moving in the right direction. All right. Uh, this brings us to our place here in the book of Judges. We are concluding Jephthah's uh, labors as the judge of Israel with a, with a second strange and tragic episode, uh, this time not dealing with his daughter, but his dealings with the Ephraimites, other Israelites. And, uh, and, uh, and so we're dealing, and then following Jephthah are the three judges that are listed very quickly, and they all come from the northern tribes of Israel, uh, which there's don't really have much said about them. Uh, and they functionally are forming a bridge between Jephthah and Samson. And we're about to get into the Samson narrative in the next chapter, in chapter 13. Uh, and so tonight, we're going to consider the, the, the compounding tragedies of Jephthah's ministry, followed by what I'm calling an unsettlingly quiet interlude of Ibsen, Elon, and Abdon. And so uh, first we're going to consider the compounding tragedies in verses 1 through 7 with Jephthah. Because we move, as we looked at last week, we move from a, his tragic vow to tragic pride. Back in the days of Gideon, we saw a similar episode where the, the men of Ephraim uh, confronted uh, Gideon. Now they had hit Gideon right in an awkward moment because uh, the men of Ephraim had captured uh, the, the, the rulers of the enemy but Gideon was still in hot pursuit uh, of the rest of the army. He still had a battle to fight. And so there, um, Gideon just said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the Proverbs thing before Proverbs was written. And I'm going to give a soft word that will turn away anger. I'm just going to soothe their egos. And you're the best. You're the best. Right? And that's what he did with the Ephraimites. And they said, thank you. Thank you. And so they went on their way. Uh, well, here, Ephra the Ephraimites accost Jephthah, who has just come back from a dramatic victory and also just dramatically finished sacrificing his own daughter, which he devastated himself and mourned over the loss of his daughter and his, the cutting off of his line. Uh, if they were expecting the gentleness of Gideon, they were in for a rude awakening. As one commentator said, they may have been expecting the psychology of Gideon, but they're going to get the sword of Jephthah. Generally, it is not good to threaten to kill a man who has proven himself to be an excellent warrior and who ha now has nothing to lose. The dispute itself is interesting. The, the men of Ephraim accused Jephthah of not calling upon them and thus dishonoring them, not giving them the honor of being able to fight uh, on, on the behalf of their Israelite brothers. But Jephthah says he did call upon them and they didn't show up. Now, the text is actually silent. We don't know who's telling the truth. Uh, and whatever the truth of the matter is, it is certainly true that there is never a shortage of people who will show up after a great victory to help you share in the spoil, right? And even demand the right to do so. There's also a valuable lesson that we can learn from the Ephraimites here. Uh, something that uh, we like to say uh, amongst the guys in college is, uh, don't let your mouth write checks your body can't cash. 
Right? Don't threaten to kill someone, period, general advice. But if you're going to, if you're determined to, make sure you can actually back up your threats because they may call you on it, as Jephthah does here. But at the heart of this whole thing is pride. Pride from the Ephraimites who demand to have their honor that they don't deserve. And as the people of God, we, we ought to be careful never to allow ourselves to become a Christian version of the Ephraimites, demanding to have our ego stroked to have accommodations made for us because we've been here so long or we've done so many important things or we do all this or that or, what, or whatnot. But there is also pride on Jephthah's part, which is revealed in, in how he goes in the, the extra mile to set up this deadly word game at the bridge uh, to get back across into safety that he's going to play with the Ephraimites later. Here's a man who's been despised all his life, who has a massive chip on his shoulder, and he's done taking any guff, even if it comes from his fellow Israelites. And so the, the ensuing conflict uh, uh, reveals that God's people are beginning to come apart. God's people are beginning to come apart. And we have here essentially a mini civil war between the Gileadites and the men of Ephraim. And while we know that there was a divine sanction for the war against the Ammonites, you'll notice that there is no... Uh, there's no mention of God blessing anybody in this whole thing. There's no divine sanction for, for Ephraim or for Jephthah in any of this, in any of this episode. Um, and so getting his men, so I'll bring up a map here. So, uh, so we have the Jordan River. It's a, that dark blue line towards the center there. Uh, and, uh, and so the, uh, the, the kind of aqua color arrows are going to be the Ephraimites who crossed over from the left side, uh, from the east over across the river and met uh, uh, um, Jephthah, who's the white arrow there, at Zephon. Uh, they fought, and then, uh, and then Jephthah and his men circled around and cut them off at the fords uh, before they could get back. And, uh, and, and so the uh, text records that the men of Ephraim called Jephthah uh, and his men uh, fugitives of Ephraim, essentially renegade Ephraimites, rebels, uh, but, uh, but now the narrator refers to the men, the Ephraimites, who are fleeing for their lives as the fugitives of Ephraim, who are seeking to get back across the river Jordan to safety. The only, um, the only problem here for the Ephraimites is that it's interesting, twice already in the book, of jo uh, the book of Judges, the Ephraimites were the ones who took control of the fords of the Jordan River and used it against the enemy but now their very tactic is used against them. And so Jephthah turns the tables and controls the passage back over. Now the idea of different pronunciations of words uh, is, not, uh, uh, is not difficult to grasp. Just ask a southerner and a native of Boston to say the word chowder uh, or car, and you will notice the difference, right? Chowder, ka, right? Um, you know, if uh, you ask a southerner to say the word, the phrase "fixing to," right? So, and just and just watch that X just drop right out, you know, and so it becomes "fitting to." So, you know, and so and so the, you know, so these uh, these Ephraimites are running around, you know, and they're like, "Ah, oh, no, I'm from Gad. I'm from Reuben. You know, <laughs> I'm a Reubenite, and kind of trying to want to go across the river and say, okay, easy. We'll just say that say flowing stream for me, please.'" which is what Shibboleth means, 
You want to cross the flowing stream? Just tell me what is it that you want to cross. I want to cross the bridge. Now, but what's this thing right here that you want to cross? You need to tell me what it is. You need to say shibboleth. And so uh, they couldn't say it. And, and I know there's even stories in World War II as how they would try to out uh, of spies because they couldn't say certain words. But, and that worked both ways. There's certain German words that English speakers, native English speakers, can't, just can't say. And certain English words that Germans couldn't say. So... Um, so this is not a, 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 a just an old thing. Uh, now the idea of shibboleths um, has been extrapolated from this event and is used uh, not very often, but is used sometimes today to refer to an old-fashioned custom or belief that is uh, indicates a very particular group, but it's not really necessary. It's just kind of an old-fashioned thing. So they talk about the the shibboleths of that group, all right? Uh, that um, that they want, uh, even though they're unnecessary. That, but that's not really. Here or there for the text today. Um, but what Jephthah does here goes well beyond any standard of self-defense. I mean, he certainly could have defended himself against the men of Ephraim since they had basically threatened to murder him. Right? They said, we're going to put you in your house and burn it down. Right? So uh, he could have de defended himself rightly, but he had to go farther. He had to go further to satisfy his thirst for vengeance. And when the people of God turn on each other in this way, it's, it is a bad sign. There's no winners here. As Paul might say, there is no one righteous here, not one. The men of Ephraim ignored the needs of their brothers. They were far too quick to exert their own rights and, uh, and slow, too slow to fulfill their responsibilities. How different a picture the Apostle Paul gives us in the book of Romans of the responsibility of believers in the church to outdo one another in showing honor rather than receiving it. Jephthah, for his part, was consumed by personal vendettas and, 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 uh, and teaching everyone who stood against him one single lesson. You don't mess with Jephthah. And so the episode concludes in verse 7 with a, a dark and quiet end uh, for Jephthah. Jephthah, we're told, judged Israel for only six years. Only six years. He died and he was buried. There is no mention of, uh, of rest uh, for the land or for the people of Israel, just an end to the bloodletting between brothers. I read an interesting story uh, this week as I was doing my uh, uh, research. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so there's a sports writer who would write, uh, he, and he wrote a story about uh, back in the 1930s, there was a boxer named um, C.D. Big Boy Blaylock from Louisiana who was going up against uh, a, a, a fighter from Mississippi State, okay? It was, it was, a bo it was college boxing. And, and now this guy was a six, the, the guy from Louisiana State was 6'6", six, six, just a mountain of a man. Um, and so in the second round of, of the fight, uh, it, it, the uh, big boy uh, <laughs> did a roundhouse, going around, you know, going for the haymaker here. And so the, and the Mississippi State boxer um, and, uh, leaned down and in, his head hitting Blaylock's elbow so that instead of coming around, he went and punched himself in the chin. <laughs> he staggered around the ring uh, in almost a full circle and fell flat on his face, out. The only professional boxer to knock himself out in a boxing match. That is what Israel is doing right now. How often the church 
does this as well. Just punching themselves out, and it's only going to get worse. Until it gets worse, though, we uh, can only call uh, verses 8 through 15, call what happens there an unsettlingly quiet interlude. In verses 8 through 15. Now, positively speaking, uh, what we see in these three judges is what we could call a, a quieter time, certainly. There's, they're not, Israelites are not at each other's throats. Um, and, uh, and, and so we see a, a time of prosperity, a time of better tribal relations. Uh, so now, uh, we're introduced into the, uh, the next, uh, the, the next uh, to Ibsen uh, of Bethlehem. Now, uh, much as we might have to clarify with someone... Uh, not from Mississippi, that when we said Oxford, we weren't talking about England, uh, right? Uh, when the text mentions Bethlehem here, we're not, we are not talking about our, the fan-favorite place, uh, the birthplace of our Lord and Savior, Bethlehem. We are actually talking about the northern Bethlehem, right up there, right in Zebulun. You didn't even know that was there, did you? <laughs> so uh, there is a lesser-known Bethlehem and in Zebulun, and that is where Ibsen is actually from. And, uh, and so uh, Ibsen is from the less famous house of bread, uh, but he was certainly prosperous. He had 30 sons, and, and those 30 sons married outside his clan, uh, we're told. So, we're, so that's pretty good news for just coming out of a little mini civil war in the northern area. Now the next judge is actually intermarrying his family amongst the other uh, clans. Uh, so that, that's good stuff there. Uh, and, and, contra- and contrast his prosperity, with, particularly with his childbearing, to Jephthah's, who has lost and had his whole line cut off. Likewise, Abdon, the third judge is mentioned, had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, indicating him to be essentially a regional power and uh, through, uh, through his line. And, and through, uh, in all three judges, we have uh, basically 25 years of relative calm. There's no record of any kind of uh, actual military conflict, internal or external. But yet it still doesn't feel like rest. It feels like the calm before the storm. And that's why this is not just a quieter time. It is also an unsettling time. Once again, in the description of these judges, there is no mention of repentance for the people of Israel. There's no mention of rest for the land or the people of Israel one gets the sense that there's simply a, a, a bandage that has been laid over a festering wound. And this is strengthened by the quick repetition that, uh, that each of these judges died after short periods of service. Granted, their periods of service are all longer than Jephthah's, but that's not exactly a high bar to clear. One scholar remarked that the account of these judges has a, such a repetitive uh, nature to it that it, it begins to sound like you're reading Genesis, uh, Genesis 5 that has the uh, and so and so lived, uh, so and so lived so many years, and then he died. And then so and so lived, and then he died. And so and so lived, and then he died. Um, I've heard of a guy who actually came to faith simply be, by hearing that chapter read, and suddenly came to grips with his own mortality. <laughs> just reading through Genesis, just reading through that passage. Now, despite uh, recent controversies in our own country uh, over the last several years, we still, believe it or not, live, at least by comparison, in a relatively peaceful political state. Again, uh, again, this is acknowledging that it's become much worse in many ways in recent years. But when you compare it to so many other countries in the world, still doing pretty good. 
Uh, when you look at certain countries in the Middle East or, or Africa, you wonder what's going to happen when the next election comes or when that dictator dies. What's going to happen? What's, wh who's going to fill the vacuum that he leaves? Uh, it's, it, it's, it's hard. There's no, you can't have stability in that kind of situation. And so it is in Israel. There is no stability. One is left wondering simply, what will come next? Will there be an invading force? What kind of judge will come? Will he be a good judge? Will he be wreck havoc like Abimelech or like Jephthah? What, what's it going to be like? Is there going to be another civil skirmish or will it be all out civil war? Yet even in unsettling times, we must not overlook God's mercies. Even in our own lives where things may be deeply unsettled, we, we, where we might be asking, what's going to happen next, Lord? If we're filled with anxiety because we simply don't know and we actually are becoming more afraid of the future. We need to not look over the, the, even the small kindnesses that God sends our way, even if it just feels like we're waiting for the hurricane to come. And all of this leads us to this kind of distant, or what I'm calling a distant call and that's starting to come from, from the back. Uh, the distant call for the true judge of Israel to arise. In the cycle of the judges, we have started to kind of get into some pretty bleak territory. Things tanked real hard right at the end of Gideon's service. They hit certainly one of the lowest points under, under Abimelech. Jephthah is at best a mixed bag when we think about his ministry and his deeds. And then there are these three judges who keep a relative peace, improve tribal relations, uh, through their own family lines, but their ministry of judges is brief, and in each case, as we noted, they all, of course, die. But like the light that is beginning to break over the horizon, we sense the need for something greater. In the last week, I noted that Jephthah's name means he opens. And as we saw, Jephthah opens his mouth, his mouth and destruction follows. His ministry ends with the death of his daughter, and the death of his Israelite brothers. But we have a deliverer who is greater than Jephthah, one who brings lasting peace to our hearts and to his church. As the book of Revelation says, he is the one who opens the door to eternal life, and no one can shut it. He is the one who opens his mouth with a word of salvation, and one day with a word of judgment. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the true judge and deliverer of his people. So the conclusion of Jephthah's ministry and the bridge of these three judges lead us to long for a better judge. Soon the people of Israel will get a better judge, and his name is Samson. But even Samson has some flaws, we'll call them. But we have a better deliverer in Christ. And so as we consider our own circumstances, and even as they, and, and they may stir us from, in a negative way, but they may stir us to long for our Savior to return, to bring about our final deliverance to this world and justice against evil. Even as we wait for those things, even as we are stirred painfully for those things, let us trust in our great deliverer. Let us trust in him while we avoid the shameful pride of Jephthah, or we avoid the shameful pride of, of Ephraim as we await the return of our Savior. Let us do good to one another and outdo one another in showing honor. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ is our true deliverer, that he is the greater Jephthah, most certainly. He doesn't destroy his brothers. He saves them. He dies for them. And so, Lord, he, he dies for us. And so, Father, we pray that even when we feel like things are unsettled, when things are maybe not going right, maybe it just feels like it's all going wrong, Lord, may you help us to rejoice in Christ, to look for your mercies as small as they may be in the moment and to rejoice in them and to know that our God has not abandoned us, that, he, that you will not let us go, that you will accomplish all your holy will. And Father, in, the, in, in this time, Lord, may we show love and unity, the unity of faith and love in Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. May you strengthen your church against the, the, uh, the desires of the flesh, against the wiles of Satan, against the corruption of the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and